0: Welcome to the No Neutral Moments Podcast. My name is Patrick Payton, and it's my pleasure to discuss, to explore, and maybe even to discover what it means for each one of us to live our lives fully engaged, to challenge each one of us to be fully aware, and completely expecting to engage to the fullest everything we've been designed, called, and gifted to be. So with all this in mind, let's not waste any more time. Let's go ahead and get engaged. Well, hello there. Welcome to the 82nd episode of the No Neutral Moments podcast. My name is Patrick Peyton, and I'll be spending this time with you. I'll be your host, and it's really um, been a fantastic year with you. And at this particular time, it's uh, getting close to Christmas when I'm recording this. It's December. Let's see what day is it. It's December the 12th. Recording this podcast, and and I don't know if this will be the last one for 2021. Uh, or we'll have another one we might do. I'm trying to cover quite a bit of territory here uh, in this 82nd episode. I don't know if I'd have an official title for it other than Lessons Learned in 2021. Lessons Learned in 2021. You could call it observations of a year gone by. And then I'll throw in a little bit about some books that I've read this year that I would recommend to you as well. But before I go any further... I really just want to pause for a minute cuz cuz some things have happened, you know, we surpassed the 100,000 download mark this year and that's because of all of you listening and taking the time to listen to this podcast when there's so many, I mean just millions and millions of podcasts out there and everybody's got a podcast they're listening to and just to uh just to have you listening to this podcast is an honor and I want to thank you for that. And I want to thank those who who on the team make this possible. It's not a very large team but it's an excellent team. People like Jesse Russo, who uh, is my executive assistant and um, has been such a crucial part of our team making this podcast possible and just so thankful for her partnership. And, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you to listen uh, to her and her husband, Jake Russo's podcast, The Maximized Lifestyle Podcast. And so I think they're 20 or 21 episodes in, maybe – Uh, Yeah, I think that's about right. I'm trying to look at it here on my phone real quick. So give Jake and Jesse Russo a listen to their podcast, The Maximized Lifestyle Podcast, probably one of the wisest couples I know. Also, I want to thank Tyler Dodds. I would call him chief engineering officer who makes sure this thing gets done and uh, is, is posted well for you guys. One of the most talented individuals I have ever heard. And you're going to want to look him up on Spotify or where you get your music uh, Tyler Dodds, and then I have to give a shout out to my wife Cindy, who is always encouraging me to stay after this. When at times I think, you know, I just don't know if I want to keep doing this podcast. And that goes to all of you as well, with your feedback and, and your input as to what this podcast means to you. We've had two really consistent sponsors uh this year, and then we've had other investors uh, who don't want you know anybody to know who they are but it's been an honor to have them as investors in this episode or not this episode this this podcast so thankful to them who are investing in this podcast it's a it's a very small but uh little growing business, so we're appreciative of that but uh two of the two of the Sponsors who have been a huge part of moving us forward have been Lucini and Mertz. And uh, they have sponsored multiple episodes of Lucini and Mertz Land Surveying Company, a business that's just faithful to serve its clients, empower employees. I love the way they describe themselves, trying to build lifelong relationships. And this, as I told you in previous podcasts, is one of my favorite phrases of theirs that they do what they do with the art, the science, and the process of land surveying. They've been around since 1952 uh, and and marked all those years by dedication to clients and customer service. And we've told you over the year how to get hold of them. Contact Bobby Burkholder. Tell them the No Neutral Moments podcast sent you to find out what Lucini and Mertz can do for you. And you can also see information in the show notes for Lucini and Mertz land surveying. You can contact Bobby Burkholder at bobbyb at lucinimertz.com L-U-C-H-I-N-I-M-E-R-T-Z.com, and, and also my good friends with Gerald Dunton over at Admark, who have been a vital part of some things we've done at the Peyton Group, as well as with the campaign when I ran for mayor, and... Uh, My friend Daryl is a uh, dedicated believer and that bleeds into his business as he talks about the foundation of his company and his product being a logos or a word. And he talks about how that's from John chapter one in the beginning was the word, uh, that book of the Bible. Uh, I love how Daryl connects your, your logo to your identity and your personality, mixing that all up with your brand and it shapes how people define your company. It's amazing to me. They've been around here for over three decades designing logos for companies small and large, not just in the Permian Basin, uh, but all over the state of Texas and all over the country. Your identity is by design, so let Admark help you out with that. Check it out in the show notes, and you can also find Admark online at Admark it's A-D-M-A-R-C.com, Or you can email Daryl Dutton at Daryl d a r r e l l. At admarkdat.com. So that takes care of all the sponsorships and the shout outs and the thank yous. Let's sort of press right into this and forgive me for again taking a little drink every once in a while of my coffee and I'll try to eliminate as much as I can the sniffles. I do not have COVID. Uh, As I'm recording this episode, I've been on the road quite a bit. So I'm between States and and my sinuses get settled in. None of you really care about this, but my sinuses get settled in one place, then I go to another place. And so it's just one of those things. So I'm going to now take a a, uh, pause to take a drink. And that's the way that goes for thousands of you to listen to someone take a drink and to sniff. So I'm going to move on into this lessons of 2021. Let me tell you sort of the process because in my consulting and coaching business, One of the things I encourage people to do is something I learned from a mentor. Uh, That's a mentor I've only met two times in my life, by the way. So you can find mentors through reading, through podcasts. Those mentors don't always have to sit down with you and have a cup of coffee. And this mentor, um, when I was listening to one of his recordings, I don't remember if it was a podcast or a video, he, he talked about how he audits every year. He takes the last couple of weeks of the year, the calendar year, and sits down and goes through his calendar of the last twelve months, journals and different things, and tries to just sort of self audit. How do I get better? What did I learn? And, and and I guess there's really no other better way to put it is just sort of self audit and prepare yourself for the year ahead. I'm not done with this process, but I I have uh, what I'm going to share with you in this podcast are, I think there's nine of them, seven, eight, nine observations as I've gone through most of my journals and my notes that so far are the significant lessons that I would say that I've learned over this last year. And they're not in any particular order. So don't think that one is more important than the other. I hope you'll stay with me and I hope I can jog your mind and memory as you do your own self-audit. And you close out 2021, which was slightly better than 2020. And you get ready for what we hope will be incredibly better, which is 2022. So here we go. Number one, the extremes are dangerous and they are not always the same as convictions. Uh, You've heard me talk about extremes, the extreme left, the extreme right, the extreme of opinions. Uh, You perhaps remember me telling you stories about the early days of covid back in 2020 when the opinions were I was I either had to shut down the entire city or I was uh I hated people and I wanted them to die or the other extreme was if I shut the city down that I was a raging communist and I was trying to control people's lives and so you know there were some extremes that just didn't work and then I've grown up in an environment if you've been involved in the church world like I have where you can hear people that have extremes about music or extremes about certain convictions, and oftentimes their their well-meaning convictions turn into extremes where there's no room for discussion. You know, convictions are often uh, deeply meditative and personal, if they're healthy. In, in other words, you've thought about it. This is something you're going to live your life by, and it's not necessarily something that you demand everybody else around you display. It's just a very personal conviction that can be informed by your life or by your faith. But oftentimes extremes are where convictions can can get motivated and moved by the crowd or by groupthink. And then they become um, more than just very personal, and they, they oftentimes do not—they're uh, not deeply thought through. There's a lot of notes uh, in my journals and planners on this issue of extremes can sometimes be dangerous— And they're not always the same as convictions, but I'll give you a couple of examples. One is this whole debate, and I'm not trying to get into a political thing with you here about the electrification of our economy. Obviously, if you're not from the Permian Basin and you're listening to this podcast, you you might be aware of the fact that I kind of live in the heart and soul of the oil and gas industry. But this whole debate about electrification is an extreme because you cannot get to electrification unless you have a reasonable view of what oil and gas will do because supply and infrastructure and human thriving and all th- kinds of things are at an issue and i've literally heard people believe that if you just plug into the to the socket that's in your wall we could change the economy because people don't think about where energy comes from so rather than a holistic discussion There's often a bantering back and forth of extremes. I already shared with you the example, and I wrote it in my notes of the COVID shutdowns. And now I'm going to give you one that's going to cause you to either turn the podcast off, hate me, not listen anymore, or at least, I hope, to make you go, huh, okay, uh, I better give that some thought. I remember back in the 90s when President Clinton was running for office, and in the church world, in the conservative church world, everybody was talking about how President Clinton could not be the president. They would refer to issues about his morality, and then you remember the whole thing that happened with Monica Lewinsky, and he was not a man of integrity, and he shouldn't be the president, so on and so forth. Full confession, I voted for President Trump uh, both times, but I was taken aback by how many people from the right, the conservative right, and specifically the Christian right, were talking about how President Trump was God's man, and yet he was somebody who was uh less than upstanding in his relationships with women as far as marriages and reputation he was a man uh who had casinos uh he was a man of quite a uh a partying um reputation and and listen i i just told you i voted for the guy i voted for him twice i voted for policy over personality more often than not but i told a lot of my Christian friends, and, and I spoke at a uh, a big Baptist event about a year ago, and I told them, you better be careful about who you say is God's man, because if President Trump—and remember, I'm talking to Republican crowds, and I'm a registered Republican—I said, if, if you're going to say that Trump is God's man, and then take into consideration the things that are a part of his life, then— um you do know if he'd run as a Democrat, you would have said the same things about him that you said about President Clinton. Now listen, I've probably got you mad already. I'm just saying this is an example of extremes. And and sometimes people confuse uh, their convictions with uh, truth, and then they turn these things into extremes. Extremes are dangerous. President Eisenhower spoke about it in the 50s and 60s. It's still true today. That was long for number one. Number two, People are not as thoughtful as they should be when it comes to individual liberty, the price paid for it, and how easily it can be eroded and taken away by people who are in power or people who say they have your best interests in mind. So listen, this lesson, I was a little, I've was, been a little taken aback over this last year about how easy uh, or how quickly people lived in the realm of fear when it came to COVID. And it was it was real. I'm not disputing the fact that it's real. It was a real virus, and people were getting very sick. Uh, I'm a little concerned about how we uh, weren't talking about death rates and different things like that. But there, I was concerned, and I grew more and more concerned, about how in the presence of fear, people are willing to just do what they're told without really much scientific evidence behind it and and the inability to want to enter into a debate about it. And so I, I guess I'll just leave it at that. When it comes to individual liberty, people were just letting themselves be told what to do. And you have to stay home and you have to do this and you have to do that. And you have to do this with a vaccine or you have to do that with a vaccine. And... I think we're going to look back, and this is a lesson still in the making. I think we're going to look back on 2020, 2021, and maybe some pieces of 2022, and um, we're going to have to reassess how um, we talk about science. We're going to have to reassess how we talk about leadership when it comes to science. I'm deeply troubled by the phrase, follow the science, because... Follow the science is a phrase used by people with extremes in mind, rather than the fluctuating nature of science, because science should always be changing. And I don't even like the phrase, the consensus of science, because the consensus of science is a dangerous thing. But anyways, this number two is just, um, when it comes to individual liberty, and you start studying history, you start realizing that when... um, you know when the when people in power and leadership start talking about how much they want to help you and protect you, just be careful because uh, oftentimes they're not going to live by the same standards uh, that they put in front of you to protect you. Number three, the extremes all like to claim that God is on their side. What this tends to mean is God is most likely not on either side. Remember, these are my observations, and I, I'll go back through my notes. And and obviously, these first three have some element of the extremes that I've watched. But this issue is very personal to me because people on the left and people on the right, politically and ideologically, will always claim some part of God to be on their side. I have learned, and I'm beginning to learn more and more, that anytime you hear someone telling you that God is on their side, there's something about you that should become cautious. As soon as I hear people start to tell me about God being with them, I don't dispute that God is with people. You know my life and, and where I've been, but I sort of get in the skeptic mode because as soon as the God card is thrown down, that means you can't have a discussion of disagreement or possibly of learning or improving because you can't improve upon what God has put in someone's life. It's kind of like the phrase when people come up to me when they're getting ready to have a conversation with me and they say, I have been praying about this conversation with you. Well, the, the whether they know it or not, what they're telling you is you probably haven't been praying about this, so just understand that I'm correct as I start to talk to you about this. So um, I think I can say any anyone who has God on their side in reality and in truth doesn't denigrate other people, humiliate other people, call people names, uh, smear the people they're opposed to in some of the ways you hear modern messaging today from the left and the right, religiously and ideologically, and yet they claim God is on their side. There's something to be said about loving your enemies. Um, It doesn't mean you don't disagree. There's a way to disagree and not say God is on your side and then humiliate somebody and call somebody names. But how we disagree is as important as oftentimes what we disagree about, because what we disagree about can get lost in how we disagree and what we claim. So again, this is just an observation of mine that to me, the extremes of either side, as soon as they start throwing down the God card, uh, I think I've just gotten a little more skeptical in that regard. So Anyways, just being honest with you, just being, to use the phrase, being real with you on some observations from 2021. Number four, moving a little bit away from the extremes. I I have this thing I'm working on that great leadership and great management are not the same, and they are of necessity um, based on circumstances and timing. In other words, Great leadership can paint a picture of where we need to go. Great management can take care of and make better where we are, but oftentimes management doesn't take us where we need to go. And so it takes another season of leadership. I, I feel like I'm seeing this quite a bit in some of the corporate world that this idea of management and leadership being confused, and it, it's a balance. It's 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 really a balance. And so I just... Um, I'm going to keep meditating on this and keep working on this about the balance between leadership and management. And that doesn't mean a great leader can't be a great manager. It doesn't mean a great manager can't be a great leader. But oftentimes management is data-driven and oftentimes leadership is gut-driven. And those have to be balanced. And it goes back to some extremes and learning how to balance the gut and the data so you don't become lost in one or the other. So I'll leave that there. It's not a lot to talk about. I'm just, it's an observation I've made through 2021. Number five, I hope this is funny, but it's just an observation that just happened to me when my wife and I sat down to watch the latest installment of the James Bond uh, series, whatever you call it. And I, if you've seen it, this is spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, but like James, Don- James Bond is killed in this latest episode at the very end of the movie. And I loved the movie. I, I pretty much like all James Bond movies, although I do have my favorite Bonds, you know, that are, that are played by people. And I have my least favorite ones too. Like Roger Moore is all-time favorite. And Daniel Patrick, the recent guy, he's probably right up there as well. But the way I wrote this down is James Bond is dead. And that is really tough for those of us who are raised on Bond. James Bond. Now I had this huge debate with one of my kids that he's not dead they'll just bring another bond I'm like no 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 you don't understand like I have watched all of them and the dude doesn't die so you know like we're turning a corner like like all pun intended something has died and so um I don't know I'll leave it at that. I think some of you old timers who are listening to me are like probably saying, yes, that's exactly right. Like It's changed. All right, number six. I'll see if I can muddle my way through my notes here. The vast majority of us unconsciously try to find our way back to the path of least resistance or the one that feels most familiar, comfortable, and safe. This is extremely detrimental to your growth, your excellence, and greatness, but it's a very hard natural tendency to break, this whole tendency to try to get back to the path of least resistance. The willingness to fight through complacency and mediocrity is oftentimes confessed with full intentions, but rarely actually accompanied with follow-through. Now, um, what I'm saying in this whole convoluted sentence is we, we just as human beings tend to slide back to what we were before rather than fight forward to what we can be. And it's very easy to to quote a phrase from uh, Jim Collins, it's very easy to get to a place where you're really good. It's a little harder to press ahead to greatness because we want to resort back to being good. We don't want to grind again. And I I recently wrote about this idea in how it applies to agriculture being an, an, an appropriate example. I'm no farmer. I've never been a farmer. I have had a garden in my backyard. And so I know a little bit at a very, 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 very small level. But, you know, out here in West Texas, whether people believe it or not, there's a lot of cotton growing around here. And something you see every year is the tilling. Of the soil to prepare for the planting of the cotton. The interesting thing about the whole agricultural cycle is how every cycle is preceded by a preparation of the soil. You got to dig it up, you got to make it ready, you got to prepare it, and sometimes you even got to let it rest. But you don't just throw seeds out there and hope to get to a great result. You have to go through the tilling and the planting and the weeding and taking care of it before you get to a great harvest of greatness. I have found that it is very hard to get into the habit of being willing to till up the ground of your accomplishment in order to move forward into a possible level of even greater accomplishment. It's just easy to say, we're good. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. Remember this. Use the agricultural example. Even though they may till up the soil, that doesn't mean they're going to necessarily plant something different. They may just turn right around and plant a cotton crop again. That's fine, but you still have to till it up. And, and what I'm getting to with this, and I, I'm, I'm putting this in my coaching and consulting sort of uh, repertoire, if you want to use that fancy word, I think it's essential for leadership teams to do what Ray Dalio and um, Jim Collins and others have referred to as get in there and rumble. You got to get in there and rumble a lot. And, and you got to take what's good and throw it up on the wall and see if you can tear it down. And then if it stays, it stays and you keep doing it. Got to be willing to tear something down. The same thing we do when we work out, you tear your muscle down so it can grow. And because it is in our nature to settle That's what we do, and so we have to fight against that. Just an observation from 2021. I'm seeing it in multiple places, seeing it in my own life, and I got to fight through it as well. Number seven, the circle of trust is small and is not so much getting smaller as it's getting tighter. Uh, I've worked with kids and high school kids for many, many years, and I've often taught them, as I've mentored them, that there is a small circle of trust the older you get. Um, What's interesting is I've had some discussions recently is how um, a generation of people is talking about how they lack community. But because of social media, there is no generation that's been more connected, yet they lack community. Community does not occur. And when I say community, I'm talking about a circle of trust. I'm talking about the group you can go talk to and you can do life with. And that can, when you pick up the phone, they're there and and they understand you and you understand them. It's like just barely below the level of family. It's ironic to me that we can be the most connected people of any generation, of any time in the history of the world. More connections, more possibility of connection than any, think about that, than any group of people who have ever walked the globe. But you can also say that we probably have the least amount of community and the least amount of trust. And and so I think we have to begin to get back to this place where we're finding out who the real friends are and who it is that we're doing life with. And the reality is that is a small group. And as long as I have been saying this statement about the circle of trust is small, it just gets, I guess to put it one way, it gets truer and truer the longer I live. Doesn't mean you don't have a ton of friends. I mean, it doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean you don't have a ton of people you interact with and you shake hands with and you give hugs to and appropriately. And, and it doesn't mean you have a tremendous circle of uh, influence. But the circle of concern and trust, that's a different ball game. I hope you'll think about that. Number eight, two more. The only things I control. I came across this as I was reviewing my journals, and I, it, it's, it's been a huge lesson for me in 2021. For some of you, it's a lesson you learned a long time ago. For me, it's a lesson that I'm just reaffirming. The only things I control are my thoughts, my words, my actions, and my emotions. That's it. Um, my thoughts, my words my actions, and my emotions. And you can put those in any order you want. I think the hardest, the hardest, how'd you like that word? That's beautiful. The hardest. I just made up a word. The most difficult one to control of the ones I just mentioned is my emotions. That's the hard one. To control emotions takes some sincere discipline and some sincere effort. But, uh, That's it. My thoughts, my words, my actions, and my emotions. Number nine, living as a fulcrum is not the easiest position or the most popular to choose, but it is a place where I can foster and create synergy. And synergy is really the combined effect um, that is greater than the sum of the separate effects. So where did I start? And I didn't do this on purpose. I'm literally just noticing this as I'm recording this podcast. I started with the extremes being dangerous, and and I, I think they're polarizing. And now, then this last one is this idea of living as the fulcrum. And where this came from is, again, as I was going through my journals, uh, I I went back a little bit into a journal that crossed over from 2020 to 2021, and I noticed some notes I was making about how in this crisis of COVID, I was having to learn to be a fulcrum between the extremes and trying to get it to where neither one of the, imagine the teeter-totter, okay? My objective as the fulcrum was to not allow either side touch the ground, but to keep balancing them so neither one got the edge. And I'm That doesn't mean you're a moderate. That doesn't mean you're a compromiser. It means you're trying to bring the best of both sides together for the benefit of both. Again, that definition of synergy is that the combined effect is better than the effect of the separate. And so I would encourage you to consider how you're being led into being, um, I'm going to make up another word, rather fulcrumatic in your life. So um, now I'm going to move a little bit. I thought I'd give you a little bit of a uh, a reading list from this past year. This is not everything that I've read, but I will tell you for 2021, I read less than I've probably read in 15 years as far as one year's books have gone, but I have read more deeply um a few books that I've gone back to and and really begun to put those books into to use Uh, a phrase back in in a deeper place in the circle of trust in my life. These books will all be in the show notes, so I'm going to go through them pretty quick. But uh, here's the ones I would recommend from this year's reading. Number one, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Can't Hurt Me, David Goggins. Warning, it is rough. It is filled with some possible offending language. So I'm just telling you, it's a rough read or a rough listen, but try to get past that and pick up on some lessons of possibility in your own life. Number two, Killers of the Flower Moon. Killers of the Flower Moon. Phenomenal story about the Osage Indians in Oklahoma during the oil rush of the 20s in Oklahoma. Killers of the Flower Moon. The writer is David Gran, G-R-A-N-N. Number three, The Fifth Discipline by Peter Senge. Peter Senge, S-E-N-G-E, The Fifth Discipline. Uh, history book, another history book. Killers of the Flower Moon is a history book. This next one, Countdown 1945. Countdown 1945. It's, it's a great book about the run-up to the atomic uh, blast in World War II, written by Fox host Chris Wallace. A really good book. It's a quick read, and uh, I think you'll find it interesting. Uh, a leadership book about uh, how you change companies. It's called Leading Change. Leading Change. I think I've recommended this before to you. John Cotter, K-O-T-T-E-R. Okay, here's one. In addition to the seven habits of highly effective people that has sort of become inspired scripture for me in helping people, I have gone back to this book that I picked up a long time ago, a long time ago. And have just circled back to it because of listening to some, some uh, well, working with some folks and listening to some stuff. The book Good to Great by Jim Collins. I made a note to tell you this is probably becoming my organizational bible. Um, it's not a leadership book. It's not a program book. It's not a shtick book. It's a data book. And it's a data book that I think has stood the test of time now, just like Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You know, I told you before, most of the books about that have come out since the late 70s and early 80s, most of those books on leadership and self-improvement probably have something in them connected back to the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Whether people want to admit it or not, it's absolutely just the way it is. It's it's why this the... The Hebrew scriptures tell us there's nothing new under the sun. It's just a repackaging of it. What I like about good to great is there's nothing repackaged here when it comes to business. And what I like about it even better is once Collins finished with good to great and what they believe the data showed them were the levers for moving to greatness. After he published the book and some of the companies that he said were great, ended up not being so great after time, because this was decades of work and study they did examining companies. He went back and wrote a book called How the Mighty Fall. And the very companies that had gone from good to great and then went from great to failure, he, with data, showed how they ignored the principles of good to great. All that being said, um, I, it's, 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 it's an organizational Bible. So um, I would encourage you to make it yours. The last one is um, called Surfing the Edge of Chaos. Surfing the Edge of Chaos. The authors are Pascal, Milman, and Gioha, and they'll be in the show notes. Okay, this is it. Last part. If you have a high school or college graduate, I want to recommend four books to you. Number one is called Range by David David Epstein, David Epstein, Range, R-A-N-G-E, by David Epstein. Number two is now becoming a fairly old book. I used to hand this out to the graduates, the high school kids. I would, I, my wife and I worked with high school seniors. It's called Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung, Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung, D-E-Y-O-U-N-G, Kevin DeYoung, Just Do Something. Number three, Talent is Overrated by Jeff. And that's Jeff with a G, -G G-E-O-F-F, Colvin, C-O-L-V-I-N, Talent is Overrated. If you've never read that as an adult, you should read it. And i would give you three guesses of what the last but not least book I would tell you to give your graduate is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for spending this time with me. This is probably one of the longest podcasts at 34 minutes. I hope that uh, if you disagree with my lessons, my personal lessons over the last year, that's fine. I hope you don't hold it against me. I just thought I'd put out in front of you, you know, what What did I learn? What, what am I putting in my personal notes through 2021? As I talked about at the beginning of this episode, if you're going to self-audit and just take a look at uh, what you learned. I'm going to I'm gonna come up with more issues. I'm going to keep looking through it. Over the last two weeks of December, I'll go through a calendar audit and look at what I did and where I can do things better this upcoming year. I think if I was going to give a grade to 2021, if I was going to give myself a grade, um, I'd probably give myself a B, B minus. I don't think it was one of my best years. Um, I'm not saying it was a bad year. I just... Uh, I would grade myself in the B category and I'm hoping to turn that around in 2022 and at least get to the A, A minus maybe, maybe B plus, but maybe I'll have to do another podcast of how I think I'm going to get better and what I'm going to try to do. We're going to work on it. Uh, Not going to beat ourselves up over it. Um, And uh, we'll see what we can do in 2022 because there's just not a neutral moment. I hope you'll remember that. I hope you'll understand that. I hope you'll apply that. If I don't talk to you again, before 2022. I hope you have a great Christmas. If you hear this before Christmas, I hope you have a happy new year. If you hear this before the new year, if you don't listen to this till 2022, I hope it started out well and you're getting yourself set up for a great year ahead. God bless. And again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast and being faithful to the audience and passing it on. And just remember, there's no such thing as a neutral moment.